I want to look at two different parts of the Christmas story this morning. I've been looking at, at, at diff- the, the announcements from the angels in the last two weeks. This morning, we're going to get on to the king's part of the story. And so I'm going to get on to the story of the kings. But before that, I want you to just uh, go back in your mind to the reading that Joanna read about um, Mary and Joseph being called out to go for census, having to uh, get all their stuff packed up, uh, travel on a donkey whilst heavily pregnant and go all the way to Bethlehem. And it says this. This isn't on the slides, by the way. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered in their own city. And that's how they ended up going to Bethlehem, up from where they lived in Nazareth and going to Bethlehem. Now, there's a few things I want to just say about that before we get into the story because there's some lessons we can learn here. Now, these censuses in the Roman Empire took place every 14 years. So it it wasn't a new thing. In that passage, it doesn't say that Quirinius called the census. It says it first took place in the time of Quirinius. So they started when this guy called Quirinius was a governor. Now, that's really interesting, because one of the things that I... I remember in, in the newspapers, probably when I was in my 30s, and what they, they, they were saying in the newspapers was that the Bible couldn't be relied on because Quirinius didn't, was never um, governor while Herod was on. In other words, Quirinius, they had historical evidence, was governor after Jesus' birth, and didn't coincide with Herod. And so they made a big thing of this in the, in the newspapers and on TV that, that the Bible can't be relied on. You know, when something like that happens, it's getting rarer and rarer because the Bible can be relied on. But when something like that happens, we don't panic. Because what they found out a number of years later is they were on an archaeological dig and they found out that Quirinius was actually governor twice. Once, at the time of Herod, he then went back to Rome, and then they sent him back when he was after Jesus' time. My point is this, that the Bible is accurate. And when we see these things that people like to throw around, throwing doubt on the Bible, they always prove to be wrong in the end. Even if there was, you know, most of them don't have any substance, but in the end, they all prove to be wrong anyway. So we we take God's word as our guide. Now, they they went back to Bethlehem because, um, again, there's historical documents that show this, that what happened was that they used to have to go back to the place where their family interests were. Now, in Hebrew culture, that's where they own land. So what's happening is Joseph is going back to where his family owned land, and that's, that's Bethlehem. That's where he must have originally came from years before, and he st- he, the family interests were still there. So that's why they end up going back to Bethlehem. Now, I want you to see this, that later on in the story, we find out that the question, where's this child going to be born? 
And the people that they question, and we're going to get on to that reading, say, well, it's written he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, it's really interesting because how did they know that? They knew that because it was written hundreds of years before. And like I said last week, the big thing about God is he always keeps his promises. You know, some of them take time to come about, but he always keeps his promises. If God says a thing will happen, it will happen. There's, you know, of all the places in the world that you could pick, you wouldn't necessarily pick a little village called Bethlehem to have the saviour of the world born there. Like in the, in the children's thing, you, if we did it, like if you, if you were planning the coming of the saviour of the world, where is he going to turn up? Well, Buckingham Palace, or the White House, or somewhere like that. He isn't going to turn up in a little nowhere village, think Papworth. (laughs) (laughs) A little nowhere place. (laughs) You just, we would do it differently, but God does it this way because he wants us to understand it's not about human means and human power and human appearance that he brings about his kingdom. He brings it about in his way, and he can do it from from the smallest, humblest things. In fact, one of the things God loves is humility. And the truth is, he will always work to bring about his promises. Now, I want you to to get your head a bit round this, because I didn't understand this at first, and it always puzzled me about the Christmas story, is how come a pregnant woman couldn't find anywhere to stay. I mean, quite apart from Joseph might have had a bit of bad planning, which is a a man condition. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, girls, your turn comes. (laughs) (laughs) Quite apart from the fact that Joseph might have had a bit of bad planning. Why? What's going on here? You see, Bethlehem should have been watching for a Messiah. Because the Messiah was always coming to Bethlehem from the moment that, Jesus, that God spoke it out. But they'd been waiting for 400 years and it hadn't happened. And so they thought it would never happen. And sometimes God's plans can appear a bit like that. We can wait a long time and it can look like it's never going to happen. And so we go and get on with our lives. We, we do other things. And this place, this place called Bethlehem, had got so busy. But the people in it had got so busy that they weren't even looking for a Messiah. And so when a pregnant woman turns up, they don't go, oh, this could be the Messiah. They go, there's no room because we have all these really important people staying in our inn. Because... They paid the big money to stay here. And we're looking after their every need. And we haven't got time for you. You know, you should have booked. And, and now we're full. There's nowhere entirely full, is it? Right, you could go, well, we, we're kind of full here, but there's still a few chairs. But their focus was upon people. Their focus was upon their busyness, their focus was on making money, their focus was on all the uh, making this whole census thing work. 
And they end up sending Jesus, the, well, Mary and Joseph, to the only place they can find, which is a dirty, smelly, stinky, unhygienic, messy cattle shed. Our, um, our church in, in Uganda, uh, Faith Life Uganda, where uh, Nelson is at the moment, takes place in a disused cattle shed. And honestly, you would not want to give birth to a baby in that place. Actually, most of the time, you don't want to do church in that place, but it's the only place they've got other than an open field. Um, but that's, that Jesus ends up getting born in this place. And, and the point is that they, they knocked at all the doors, where, anywhere they could think of to stay, and everybody came up with the same thing. There's no room, no room for you. And they kept knocking and they kept knocking until they find that the only place to house the saviour of the world is a cattle shed. And so they go there and Mary gives birth. So I want you to see that, that they kept on knocking but nobody received them. You know, nobody really wanted them. Let's contrast this now. Actually, it just came to me then that the God who had God who has everything and access to everything and all the riches and create can create the universe with His words was prepared to give up all that and be born in a cattle shed because He loves you, and that tells me that there is. Nowhere in our lives that we can go that is so low or so far of God or such a messy place or makes such a mess of our lives that he isn't prepared to come and find us there. No matter how much your life might stink like a cattle shed at the moment, he's prepared to go there to find you. And he's there with you and he's there for you. Now, we can contrast that with, um, we're going to get these, these guys. Sometimes we call them the, the three kings. The Bible doesn't actually tell us how many wise men there were. We get three because there's three types of gifts given, but actually we don't know how many kings there was. They weren't actually kings, they were called magi. And I'll just read you the passage. Um, it's from Matthew chapter 2. And I just want to read the first part of it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, that, that word translated wise men is magi, from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. I want you to see the difference here that Mary and Joseph go from door to door knocking for a place for the Messiah to be born. These people come searching and looking for the Messiah. They're actually wanting to meet him. They're actually wanting to encounter him. So they, they get, get all their stuff together and do the journey and follow a star to see Jesus. That's a complete contrast to everybody else 
in the place of Bethlehem where they should have been expecting him to be born. My point is you can have two different reactions to Jesus. You can get on with the business of your life and ignore him and think, I'll just put him off to another day or I'll just stick him in the side or I'll just put him in a back room somewhere and, and maybe I'll, I'll let Jesus out once, twice a year. Or you can go and you can take the initiative and you can look for him. And depending on which, you get a completely different outcome. Because the ones who, who shoved him to one side missed the Messiah completely. Missed the greatest miracle that there's ever been. But the ones who came searching actually find him. And, and we, we need to, I've said this in, in previous weeks, we need to find reasons to believe, not reasons not to believe. And, and so many people I've encountered will come after reason after reason after reason why not to believe. But the minute you start looking for reasons to believe, you find a real living saviour who lays down his life for you and loves you. So I don't know whether it ever occurred to you, but it didn't occur to me for, for decades, really. Not, not that many decades, because I'm very young. Two decades. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did these guys come looking from the east because they saw a star? I mean, like, what's going on? I mean, if you, if you went out there, you know, if it was a bit less foggy, and you go out tonight and you see a, see a star, you don't suddenly get on your camel, pack your suitcases, put your, put your headgear on, and march across Midsummer Common, do you? Look at following the star. It's not the sort of thing you do. Why, why would these people follow the star? They're not Jews. They, they, they come from the east. And... It, it can't be just that this star's extraordinary, because if it was so extraordinary, we'd all be doing what we were a couple of weeks ago when we had the, the big moon thing, and we'd be out there looking, wouldn't we? We'd be climbing up Gog Magog Hill and everybody would be looking, but they're the only ones looking. And it occurs to me that that's, a re that's quite an odd thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's quite an odd thing to do. It's quite an odd thing to, to see. And I, I didn't understand that for years, and then... About a year back, we were, we were helping uh, at Zion Baptist Church where they had no minister for a while. And I was preaching a series on Daniel. And I discovered in there why these three wise men end up following a star to find the baby Jesus. Daniel rises in the Babylonian Empire until he's the second most per important person in the empire due to his faithfulness to God, which he's recognised. And he's given the title, and, and you can read this in Daniel, of Rab Mag. Kind of cool, isn't it? I'm the Rab Mag. I have no idea what that means. But it sort of, it was in their language, and that means head of the Magi. So Daniel taught the Magi that there was a Messiah coming who was going to save the whole world and the sign of his coming would be this star that would appear and that when that star appeared, they were to go and they would see the Messiah because God had a part for that, those, that the Magi in God's plans. Even though they were pagan people, God had a plan and they were to go and find the Messiah because he was going to bring everybody into his kingdom. Not just Jews, but Gentiles and, and people from... The, the, the empire like them. 
So when they see this star, they set off because they have been waiting five, six hundred years for this star. And unlike the, the, the people in Israel who didn't care, didn't bother, weren't even aware that he was meant to be born in this very place, they saw, I am going to find him. Because Daniel, hundreds of years ago, told us when that star appears, there is our salvation and God has a part for us to play in his plan. Do you get it? And it's just like, isn't God incredible how he sets things up? There's like hundreds of years back, Daniel's training them to look for this star and they respond. The thing I want you to see here is... There's two responses we can have to Jesus in our lives as believers. We can follow what we know even though we haven't seen the fullness of it yet. Or we can get distracted by our lives and miss God's plan for our life. It's a really simple contrast. We can follow what we know or we can just bury our life in what's going on. And most people never find Jesus because their life is full of so much other things. And it's not that he's changed, it's that we crowd him out. We're too busy. There's no room at our inn. Or we can follow him and find out that we have a part in his plan. Are you getting this? So it really wouldn't be right of me to, to sort of finish without mentioning these three gifts, would it? Because Christmas is the time for giving, as Joyce said. Christmas is the time for giving. Why do we give? They built three gifts. They built gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. And so all over the land over the last week and, and maybe still to come, you will have children dressed in king's outfits bringing gifts to lay at Jesus' feet. What's the point of that? Why did they bring gifts? You know, God doesn't have... He doesn't have stuff in the Bible that isn't relevant. And the reason for that is that the Bible used to be written down on papyruses at great, huge labour, and they didn't waste words. They don't put, there isn't, that's why sometimes it's a little bit difficult to read, because they're not wasting any words, because they've got to got, write it out longhand and ship it all around the world on bits of papyrus and, and cowhide and all the rest of the things they wrote on. And so it's important that there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we can... I've read lots of stuff about that tries to attribute deep mystical, spiritual reasons to that. I'm not co always convinced by that. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced about a fact that of those three at that time, gold was the least valuable. Frankincense and myrrh were much more costly than gold. When they brought these gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, 
they were laying at Jesus' feet a huge, huge sum. Huge, huge value. Millions of pounds worth in our parlance today. And you go like, what is going on? I believe here's what's going on. When God has a plan, he provides for it. He, Jesus may have been born in a stable in, in, in the most horrendous conditions. But God, who is Jesus' father, didn't leave his son without provision. And God will always provide for his plans in our life. You see, he's a good father. And he won't let us, um, he, he, he doesn't want us to go off and try and do everything ourselves and find out we bankrupt our lives. He wants to do it with us as a father and he'll provide. He's the provider. In the same way as he provided for Jesus, he's the provider. And... I was talking to God about this when I was writing this, this talk and it, um, earlier in the week. And he, he said, uh, I said, God, that's just amazing that you provided for Jesus like that as his father. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so I go, what do you mean you really enjoyed that, God? Yes, I really enjoyed it. And I said, oh, right, okay. And then, you know, like thoughts come from like nowhere. Just this thought came into my head, and I believe it's God. And he said this, this is the, this, this is the reason I enjoyed it. They couldn't find any room for my son at an inn. But by the time he left that place, he could have bought the inn in the whole town. <laughs> <laughs> now see who's important. You see, we can miss the important things in life by being too busy with what we think is important. And we can spend our whole lives trying to please people and miss the only one who is worthy to be pleased. Yeah. And, and God gets pleased not by um, all the things that, 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 that please all them people we work with, live with, know, uh, and the rest of it. God is pleased by faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. That, that faith, the sort of faith that will get some men who've waited 600 years to get on a camel with all their goods and take millions of pounds worth of stuff to a baby by following a star because they've been told that they have a part to play in his plan. And every single person here has a part to play in God's plan. And every single person here needs to find God and follow him in the way that they can follow him. You see, Jesus is still knocking at doors. <clears throat> Just like Mary and Joseph were knocking at doors. And the question is still the same. Will you be part of my plan or will you be so busy that you miss me completely? In Revelation 3, verse 20, so right, right at the end of the Bible, Jesus says this to the church a church that's actually forgot about him. That's just going through the motions. 
And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in, I'll dine with him, and he'll dine with me. Open invitation to dine with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Saviour, to be part of his plan, to do your life with him, for him to provide what you need and to be part of a purpose that goes beyond yourself. And Jesus hasn't changed. For 2,000 years, he hasn't changed. He's still knocking at the door. And he's saying, are you going to be too busy and too preoccupied with other things and other people and what the world thinks is important? Or will you lay down everything, give all you have to me, and be part of the plan, and we'll change the world together? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand.